We're continuing in the book of Genesis, and where we pick up the story is just after Noah and the family and the animals had come off the ark. Then Noah, then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant. I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. 
These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years and then he died. Thank you, Richard. See, Colin, Noah's ten times older than you, so, you know, that's pretty good going. Well, as Amy steps out or wriggles out into life, who's she going to be? What's she going to be like? What will she do? If, as we pray, she grows up knowing God, how should she live faithfully for God? That's Amy. Um, My example, 15th of January 2008, my family and I arrived in Australia as permanent residents, as immigrants. Stepping off that plane, we wondered, who will we be? What will we do? Noah and his family, stepping off the ark for the first time into a newly refreshed and washed clean creation, must have been thinking, who will we be? What will we do in the light of everything uh, that we've seen and been through? Who will we be? Well, we're looking at this series in Genesis at the very start of the Bible because it's our origin story. It gives us the foundation blocks for understanding who God is and understanding who we are. Because a better place to start about wondering about Amy and about ourselves or anyone else is to ask first, who is God? What has God done? What will God do? And then ask, how should we live in light of that truth? So Noah's story is one of the more well-known parts of the Bible. I've kind of assumed you know the chapters that come before this a bit. There's loads of Sunday school songs about it, isn't there? Although uh, I used to song about sing a song about it at a youth camp we used to go to. And I reckon one of the camp leaders introduced a rogue verse because we sang the official bit, you know, the animals, they went in two by twosy, twosy, elephants and kangaroosy, roosy. You know this one? No, just me. So we sang that, but we also sang this other verse, the animals, they came out three by threesy, threesy, must have been those birds and beesy, beesy children of the Lord. Not sure that was in the original song, but 
But my point is we tend to think about what Noah and what his family and what the animals, what they did, those details. But what this account is really about is what God has done and what he will do. About what God has done and what he will do. So here's our outline for today. Simple one, just three headings. God judges, God remembers, and God promises. God judges, God remembers, God promises. So first, God judges. The story so far in Genesis has been God's steadfast love, generously including us in enjoying his glory, filling the earth with good things for us to enjoy and look after. That's been the story of God so far, but it's also been the story of humanity's steadfast refusal to honor God, rejecting his rule, even when it was so perfectly, obviously, perfectly good. Because we think we know better, because we're greedy for power to rule over ourselves. It was true then, and it's true now. So each Sunday morning, I see a little illustration of this. Before the service, Kristen and Tim brilliant parents. They've trained Maddie and Amy that when it's mat time, you stay sat on the mat, right? They have a mat out the front here, and they really do. They stay on the mat. It's incredible. And it's been a really helpful thing um, to help Tim and Kristen serve in music and sound, and they get on with things and they stay on the mat. Nine times out of ten, they're great, and they stay on the mat. But like all of humanity, when we set a boundary... What does she do? Well, she tries to see how far she can push it, doesn't she? She, So I've seen her um, under the mat. I've seen her with one toe tentatively on the mat. Uh, I've seen her with her toys left as representatives of her on the mat while she's off somewhere else. And I'm not picking on Maddie. She's no... Better or worse than anyone else. But it's just a microcosm example of what we all do. We try to get away with being in charge of ourselves, trying to escape the rule of anyone else, even if that rule is the most loving, caring, happiest thing for us to be under. So by the time Noah comes along, sin is going to something much worse than sneaking off the map. So from Genesis 6, 5 and 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So God regretted, not regretted in that um, he didn't, No, it was coming. It was outside his power to foresee it. But regretted in that God really feels it. He's deeply troubled. See, God is perfectly good, so in his very nature, he's opposed to sin. God is perfectly fair and just, so in his very nature, he must punish sin. It's a good thing that God is a God who judges. Because by Noah's time, sin has grown to make a hell on earth, from chapter 6, five and, verse 5 and 7. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. 
See, what kind of God would God be if he just let that go? What kind of nightmare would we be living in now if we did survive that long under our own evil rule? So we mustn't miss that the flood is God's idea. God carries it out from chapter 6, verse 13. So God said to Noah, I am going to, block, going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. See, we tend not to want a kind of a judgmental God, give us our just desserts kind of God. And I think that's because at heart, we all know we've not just stepped off the mat, we've jumped off the mat, we've kicked the mat, We've chopped it up and set fire to it, each of us in our own way. But we don't need to shy away from God being a good, fair, and righteous judge. Because that means that God is anti-evil. It means God is pro-good, for justice, in a lasting, meaningful, truthful, powerful way. It means he loves us. And can't bear to see us endure the full suffering uh, we would bring upon ourselves. So the floodwaters come. The world is returned to how it was in Genesis 1-1. Covered in water. God has kind of decreated his creation. Well, almost. Nearly. But not quite completely. Because God remembers. Our next section, God remembers. In the Old Testament, uh, when God remembers, it doesn't just mean he's reminiscing about his memories. You know, it's not like saying, oh, remember T-Rexes, all those teeth, or something like that. No? no, for God to remember means that God acts on behalf of his people. For God to remember is him seeing that we're in need and acting to save us. So remembering really is a doing word for God. And in his grace, God remembers Noah. So at first, Noah is presented to us as a figure of hope. I mean, his name means comfort or relief. And I think we're encouraged, the way Noah's portrayed, I think we're encouraged to wonder, is this going to be the serpent crusher promised in Genesis 3, the offspring of Eve, who will defeat sin and evil. I mean, it seems a good fit before the flood in Genesis 6, verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So we're not, we're not being told he was you know, sinless perfection. He never did anything wrong. But he's faithful in obeying God. He trusts God enough to follow all his instructions in this sort of crazy ark and animal scheme. And over and over we read, Noah did as the Lord commanded him. So Noah and his family select and select animals enter the ark, trusting God. And a bit I've always missed, chapter 7, verse 16, Noah doesn't just pull the door behind him. God shuts him in the ark. God shuts him in. It's God who saves them. Earth is returned to its watery chaos, but there's a turning point, a middle of the story, the hinge where everything changes. 
chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God remembers and the recreation begins. And the language of the rest of chapter 8 closely parallels that of the original creation that of, of filling the earth. And Noah is instructed like he's a new Adam, chapter 9, verse 1. Then, Noah blessed, sorry, then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Sounds really familiar. Uh, they've got animals to eat now as well as fruit and veg. Uh, and God emphasizes how much he values human life because every human is made in his image. Every person is made in God's image. So every person is inherently valuable. Every person. So let's not miss that. So Noah and his family have been saved from cataclysmic judgment. They've got God-given purpose in their newly cleansed creation. Again, fully provided for by God. And as they step off the boat in right relationship with God, God has remembered them. He stepped into act to rescue them from his judgment. So Noah has become the first of a long line, a line that we've prayed Amy joins today. You see, throughout history, there's always been a faithful remnant, a small group of faithful believers. First Noah, later we'll look at Abraham and his family. Still later, there's the nation of Israel. And when they abandon God and are exiled, even among those exiles, there's a faithful remnant amongst them. And now God calls out his faithful to put our trust and faith in Jesus. So today we've declared that Amy is part of our little faithful remnant here. And that is what she'll stay unless she chooses otherwise. God's faithful can live by faith in him with confidence because we know that God is good and fair. We know that God judges and because he sees our need and by sheer grace steps in to save us, he remembers. So God judges, God remembers, and we can have confidence because God promises. Our final section, God promises. Excuse me. So as Noah steps off the boat, things are looking really hopeful. This righteous man whose very name needs relief or comfort, will he be the one to defeat evil and get our looking after creation, bearing God's image, get all that right? Things are looking good. But then he starts his work of working the new creation and falls at the first. Chapter 9, verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine... He became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham goes in to see him, relates the stories to his brother, his brothers who cover him up. And it's a bit hard to know exactly what's going on in those verses. But the vibe of it is of a shameful family history. That shameful family story, the kind of family story that everyone knows about, but is never talked about at family gatherings. 
And Noah's first recorded words after the flood is to curse Ham's son, Canaan. So division and hostility and shame, they're all back. And did you notice the similarities? Noah is working a garden, a vineyard. He's partaking of fruit that leads him to sin. He's naked and ashamed, needing a cover-up. Sounds a bit like his ancestors. So Noah isn't the one who's going to keep creation 2.0 free from evil. He's done it all over again, just quicker and involving more people. Yet there is hope. There is hope. So, quick Sunday school quiz for you. How many of each animal went onto the ark? Two? We've got a two? Any, any more? It's not a joke, this. This is a true quiz. It is mostly two, except for the clean animals. And there were seven pairs each of those. See, Noah obeyed that and took the extras so that he could offer a sacrifice to God when they arrived. A sign of thanks, a sign that life isn't all about me, it's all about God. Genesis chapter 8, 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. God promises. God promises he's never going to destroy the earth in a flood again. And notice it's not because he thinks, oh, this is as bad as humanity's been and they're going to get better from now on. No, he's still got an accurate read on us. Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. So, I mean, Amy, she's so cute, isn't she? Yet her heart, from the get-go, like yours, like mine, inclined to evil. But God's promise is grace. That none of us will get destroyed, the destroyed earth that we deserve. And he backs it up with a poem, verse 22 in chapter 8. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. In other words, he's saying, whatever happens, however bad humanity gets, I will sustain creation. This flood was a one-off. Seasons will come and go. Localized floods and natural disasters will come and go. But I'll keep creation going. I used to work as a radiographer in radiology and doing x-rays, and even more so doing CT scans, I got to see and understand more and more diseases. And I found myself thinking, there is absolutely so much that could go wrong with this body. Just the tiniest little thing going wrong in your body, and that's it, you bumped off. It's just a miracle. Any of us are still alive. But we are because God promises to keep us going. By grace. So chapter 9, he makes a covenant, a contract with humanity and all living things and seals it with a sign. Chapter 9, verse 14. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, 
I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. So just as sprinkling Amy with water in baptism is a sign of God's promise of of his grace and mercy to her, the rainbow is a sign of God's promise to patiently withhold his judgment. God's committed to his creation. He'll never give up on us. Making the world and filling it with humanity wasn't a mistake. We're not like an old tattoo God, that God got when he was a teenager and now regrets. No, he made us on purpose and he's committed to us. God's purposes for his creation and us in it are good and he will fulfill them. And in his grace, however it, keep, it is that he keeps this world such that we can still live in it now, he's not going to do that by flooding the whole place again. But that still leaves us with a loose thread, doesn't it? What about sin and evil? If I'm inclined to evil from childhood, if even cute little Amy's inclined to evil from childhood, how is God going to deal with us if not by flood? Well, Noah points us forward to a future promise and a future warning. A future promise and a future warning. The Apostle Peter talks about the ark in both of his letters that we've got in the Bible. And the first is especially fitting for today. So from 1 Peter chapter 3. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It gives you by the resurrection, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. In other words, Noah and his family are the first in a long line of people who will be saved by faith. Just as Noah entered the ark by faith and was saved from God's judgment, so when any one of us puts our faith in Jesus, we're saved from God's judgment. The water we used on Amy, it's not special holy water with magical cleansing properties, but it is symbolic. It's a sign pointing to what God does, hiding us in the ark, if you like, of Jesus. You see, being good and fair, God will not leave sin unpunished forever. God has promised he will return, that Jesus will return, this time to judge. So from Peter's second letter, um, here he's talking about people who scoff, saying, well, where is this Jesus then? And when's he coming back? So from 2 Peter 3, they will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens and the earth came into being, and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth 
are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. God won't destroy the earth again, but he will, when Jesus returns, finally judge sin and evil once and for all and purge all that from creation. The promises of a renewed heaven and earth coming together. But we won't be worried about failing like Adam did, like Cain did, like Noah did, because evil will be gone and dealt with once and for all. So the question is, are you in Jesus' ark of rescue? Because God promises. In baptizing Amy today, we're claiming God's promise to rescue from judgment those who belong to him by faith. We're promising to um, bring Amy up in the ark, part of God's people, saved from his judgment by belonging to Jesus, hidden in him by faith. And if you're not on the ark, if you're not trusting in Jesus to save you from the judgment that is coming, you need to be. Don't put it off because you don't know how long you've got. Uh, Jesus tells us how to think about this flood in Luke chapter 17. So it's a popular story. Peter talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Luke 17, 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the day days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. So when you see a rainbow, when you read about Noah, remember, life was just going on as normal without regard to God. But that didn't stop it raining. Remember, we can, we can remember when you see a rainbow that we can live without regard to Jesus' promise that it will return in judgment, but he will come unmistakably, unavoidably, and we can be found hidden in him by faith or on the outside getting our just desserts. So as we commit to help raise Amy in a life of faith in this God, what foundational things have we discovered about him from this flood narrative? And what have we found out about ourselves? Well, the flood is a warning to us. God is good and fair. So he judges. And that judgment will not wait for us to be ready for it. Either Jesus will return or our physical death will come unexpectedly. So be ready. God judges. But the flood is also a promise. A promise that shows us God is kind and patient. Shows us that God holds back from dealing with us as we deserve, as much as he can. Not because he thinks we are ultimately good and he's just waiting for us to get there as a species. He knows our hearts are inclined to evil. But he's waiting because he's full of grace. God promises and the flood is a warning that judgment is on the way, but it's also a promise that rescue is available in Jesus. In Jesus, God himself has seen our need and acted. He's entered the world 
to rescue us from the judgment that we deserve. All we need to do is enter the ark of rest in Jesus by faith, by trusting him as Lord over our lives. Trusting him to save us. Because God remembers. God judges. God promises. And God remembers. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you that we've got these narratives to help us understand who you are and who we are and our place in, your, in the world. And Lord, I pray that every one of us here will endure in faith in Jesus. Stay in the ark. Get on the ark of being safe in Jesus and stay there till you return. And in the meantime, live godly lives which bring you glory and point others to Jesus. Amen.